Good morning. Welcome to Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Okay. It's great to see all your smiling faces here this morning. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24 as we continue our study this morning. And today we find ourselves in one of my favorite places in all of Israel, En Gedi. And you will remember from our last time together that David, he had fled from Kela when he realized that the people would turn him over to Saul. And so he headed to the wilderness of Ziph and we learned that he was hunted down by Saul each and every day. But then we saw this beautiful picture of friendship as Jonathan traveled down from Gibeah to minister to his friend and as they enjoyed that precious fellowship and bond that they shared with one another. And as Jonathan encouraged David and then they departed from one another, we learned that or we know that that will now be the last time that they will see each other alive. And then we saw how the Ziphites, in fear of Saul, especially after his ruthless slaying of everyone in Nob, they were fearful, and they traveled up to Gibeah, and there they told Saul where David was hiding, and they promised him that they would hand over David to Saul if he came down to them. And Saul did come down with his armies, and he actually had David surrounded in Mon. And just when it seemed that Saul would finally be able to kill David, the Lord intervened on behalf of him. God orchestrated events so that the Philistines would attack Israel and that the armies of Saul would then have to return to defend that attack. And so the Lord once again provided a means of escape for David, and David was able to flee across the Judean wilderness to this place called En Gedi, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. But I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you do when God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers? What do you do when God doesn't come through on his promises in a timely fashion? Maybe I should rephrase that in your timely fashion. <laughs> what do you do when God seems to be taking his sweet time to follow through? Friends, please remember that David was around 13 years of age when he was anointed king. And it wouldn't be until he was 30 years old before he would actually become king. And during that waiting time, a great portion of it was spent running for his life. And yet not once do we see David ever speaking evil of Saul, do we? 
We don't ever see David taking matters into his own hands. We don't ever see David trying to mount a rebellion against Saul or even a protest. David doesn't even tell God to hurry up and get on with it. In fact, if anything, we see David honoring Saul. We see David doing good to him. We see David blessing both God and blessing Saul. And we see David totally submitted to God's will in God's timing. And as we come to our text now, we're going to see that David is doing that yet again. So look at verse 1 here of chapter 24. It says, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So David is now in En Gedi. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think it's important for us to be able to visualize this place. And so if you look on the screen, I want to help you get a picture of this particular area. And this is the wilderness in the area of En Gedi. And you'll see that there's this large canyon on the left-hand side of the image, and that's called the Wadi Aragot, which leads to a waterfall called the Hidden Fall, way up in the back there. And then you'll see this narrower canyon on the right-hand side of the image, and that's called the Wadi David which leads to two waterfalls that are collectively known as David's Fall. And I want you to take a look at the image of part of that fall. That's one of David's fall. And you see that little white part there at the very bottom. Go to the next picture, and you'll see a little bit more of a close-up. And I want you to please note the handsome model that is there right in front of it. <coughs> But that's David's fall. Now the name En Gedi means kid's spring or fountain of the kid in the Hebrew language. And it's very appropriately named because the whole area is flooded with ibex, which is a long curled horned goat from that area. And it's also flooded with rock badgers. And if you take a look on the screen, these are a couple of pictures I took while we were uh, at En Gedi. There's an ibex, and then the next picture you'll see some of the rock badgers, and they are there aplenty. It's not one or two. Now, Psalm 104, which has been attributed to David, actually speaks of En Gedi and the springs of fresh water um, that was provided by these falls or springs and then about the wild goats or ibex and the rock badger. And so Psalm 104, beginning at verse 10, says, He sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. 
By them the birds of the heavens have their home. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. And then you skip down to verse 18 and it says the high hills are for the wild goats or those that would be the ibex and the cliffs are refuge for the rock badgers. But you know there's another incredible feature that's seen in this amazing area of Engedi. Because as you hike up these wadis or valleys or ravines towards the waterfall, you're going to see on either side of these embankments literally hundreds of caves that are visible. Now I want to tell you something. I've heard this story about David sparing Saul's life literally hundreds upon hundreds of times. But I never fully understood, was able to wrap my head around the fact of how David and his army could hide himself and his men from such a large army that was out searching for him. How he was able to keep some 600 men hidden from some 3,000 seasoned soldiers. These were the best of the best. And how these soldiers couldn't even detect tracks or other evidence to find them. I mean, it's the desert, right? It's sand, dry ground, like there. <laughs> how on earth could David avoid leaving any trace that they couldn't follow? Well, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, so let me lay a few thousand of them on you. I want you to take a look at the screen again, and this is the hike from uh, towards the dead, uh, you're going away from the Dead Sea now into um, the Wadi of David there. And that when you get to the end there where that mountain is, is showing, you'll kind of angle to your right up the Wadi, and as you turn that corner, it really hits you. Because there are so many tiers and levels and plateaus and caves on either side of the ravine. Well, if you just want to just slowly go through some of those, you can see the caves up there. Now, they're a little bit higher up right now because, remember, that was probably 3,000 years ago. So a lot of water is run off, and so some of these caves are a little bit higher up now. This is just a few of the caves that we see. And many of these caves, even though they look small in the picture, they're very large and deep. And so you can just imagine some 3,000 armed soldiers scouring this area, but they've got all these caves that are there. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, I get it. It's an, it's an amazing sight to see. So verse 3 says, So he, that Saul, came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So in one cave, there was like 600 men. That's a pretty big cave. And without being needlessly descriptive here, Saul needed to go to the bathroom. 
And so he enters this cave, and it just coincidentally so happens to be the same cave that David and his men are in. Verse 4 says, Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now I want to remind you of how David became a leader of these men. David had escaped the hand of King Achish and the Philistines. He had traveled from Gath to the cave of Adullam. And in 1 Samuel 22, we read that everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And in distress or in debt or discontented. They ultimately were in that state because of the oppressive leadership of King Saul. And they were drawn to David because they saw in him a leader that could overthrow Saul. And so now here's Saul before them. And he's completely unaware that they're there. He's ripe for the plucking. And these men are just chomping at the bit to take him out once and for all. And notice they even try to spiritualize what they want David to do. Look, the Lord is delivering your enemy to you. The Lord wants you to do what seems good to you. David, this could be all over right now. The Lord is giving your enemy into your hand, David. And it's obvious that David was listening to them. It's obvious that he was really thinking about what they had to say. And it's obvious, at least for the moment, he entertained the thought. Because he stood up and he walked towards Saul. However, David did not kill Saul, did he? David merely cut off a piece of his robe and walked away. Now, friends, do you think it was any coincidence that Saul walked into that particular cave? Of all the caves in that massive area, he chose that specific cave. Hmm. Do you think it was a coincidence that he actually walked into that cave alone? King would never walk anywhere alone. Well, normally... I don't think a king would really want his bodyguards around there while he's doing his business. But what I find so incredibly telling about this is found in David's response. Look at verse 5. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. 
you notice David's response to his own actions? Verse 5 again says, Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And friends, it would be so easy for us to read this verse and see it as inconsequential. It would be so easy for us to look at this without giving it another thought. But friends, this verse holds the keys to the importance of this entire passage. And the answer to why this is so important comes when we answer the question, why was David's heart troubled? You know, in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 17, we read, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And friends, David knew in his heart that God had anointed Saul to the position of king. And he also knew that it was God's job to remove him as king in the time of God's choosing, not his. And David knew that by even entertaining or flirting with the idea of assisting God here. That David was putting himself in the place of God. And in so doing, that was sinning before God. And what made David a man after God's own heart was that he was humble before the Lord. That his own heart was soft and tender towards the Lord and that he never wanted sin to impede his relationship with God. My friends, I've said this before and I'm going to say it once again. God's work must be done God's way in God's timing. You know, you've all heard the old adage that you can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. However, it's also true that you can do the wrong thing for the right reasons. Or you can do the right thing at the wrong time. Look, we don't always see the big picture. We don't always understand what God is trying to do in a situation. And we don't always understand God's perfect timing. And we can see in God's word all the promises that God has made towards us. And then we can get frustrated that God's taking his sweet time to fulfill them. You want a case in point in our world today? Look in your scriptures about Sarah and Abraham. God had made a promise to Abraham that he would make a great nation of him. That he would bless him. That his descendants would be like the sands of the sea. But his wife was old. And so they decided to take matters into their own hands. And so Abraham had a baby with 
the handmaiden. You look at the struggle that's happening in Israel right now are repercussions from that sin. Because they tried to help God out and they made a mess about it. And that can tempt us many times when we see that these promises are not being fulfilled to take matters into our own hands instead of trusting him. David had the promise from God that he would inherit the throne of Israel. And David trusted God to honor his word and his promise to him. But there's another key principle that we see here in verse 5. David knew that if he was to take Saul's life here, it would be sin. And I'm going to say something rather bluntly here. And we don't always like to hear this. But God will never condone or excuse sin even for a righteous cause. God will never honor our actions if we go outside the boundaries of his law. And so David, he knew that he could not run ahead of God. He knew that he could not steal what God had promised him was to come. He knew that he could not take matters into his own hand and take Saul's life. David knew his place. David knew his role. David knew his calling. And he knew the things that were in his control, and he knew the things that were in the Lord's control. And so David restrained his men from bringing Saul to harm here. Well, now the time has come for David to make a revelation to King Saul. Look at verse 8. Says David also arose afterwards, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord the king. And when Saul looked beho- behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look. This day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see. You see the corner of your robe in my hand For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. And see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. 
but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. I want you to notice it says David came out of the cave. That's a pretty brave move. After all, nobody had any clue where he was, much less Saul, right? But friends, I want to tell you, I remember standing in that, if you remember that picture of David's fall, I remember standing on top of that. And I remember looking down and imagining in that whole open area Saul and his men at the bottom and I pictured David up at the top holding this piece of cloth from Saul's robe and saying, hey, look what I got. And then all of them turning around and looking up to see David. And I'll tell you, having been there, it just brings a whole new level of clarity to this scene. So we see David reveals himself not only to Saul, but the army that was there to kill him. And I want you to notice this incredible act of humility and submission that he shows to the king. Saul didn't deserve honor. Saul had done nothing to deserve honor other than God had placed him in that role. But David prostrated himself before Saul and you can just hear the sincerity in his voice as he says to Saul, why are you trying to kill me? Why are you so intent on doing me harm? Why are you listening to people telling you lies about me? Friends, you've got to understand, that comment alone shows David's tenderness towards Saul. Because it wasn't other people that were lying to Saul. Saul was believing his own lies. He was showing compassion by saying what other people, when he knew it was Saul. He says, Saul, why? Do you believe that I would ever do anything to harm you? I have always been loyal to you. I've always been faithful to you. I could never raise my hand against God's anointed king. And then David says something that just jarred me as I read it. David says, moreover, my father. David was taken into Saul's household as a young teen. And what David's saying here to Saul is, you're my father. That is a term of great respect and great love. Do you understand that? And so he's saying, Dad, <laughs> I had a chance to kill you. 
The proof's here in my hand. I'm not out to seek your life as you are mine. I'm not rebellious towards you. I've not wronged you. I've not sinned against you. And I have no intention of ever doing so. And then he adds the final word, and I paraphrase. I'm but a dead dog. I'm a little pesky insect in the grand scheme of things. But you're the king of Israel, and you're coming down to hunt me down with a great army. I know that I'm innocent before God and you, and I will allow God to judge me. Talk about speaking straight from the heart. So how does Saul respond to David's words here? Look at verse 16. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me for when the Lord delivered me into your hand you did not kill me for if a man finds his enemy will he let him get away safely therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day Well, David's words here obviously cut Saul to the quick. Notice that Saul says, Is that your voice, my son David? In other words, all the delusions of David being his enemy, all the lies about David being out to get him, all the hatred and anger anger that was levied towards David or just melted away, at least for the moment. And it's replaced with that tenderness and love of a father, not as an enemy. And you can literally hear a trembling in his voice as he calls out his name and weeps. And the scales of envy and bitterness just fall off of Saul's eyes as He's made to see the truth. And he truly understands the great mercy that David has just bestowed upon him. (coughs) But I do find one of Saul's comments to be of special interest here. Notice he says, For if a man finds his enemy, will will he let him get away safely? My friends, I hope you understand here that Saul was never the enemy of David. David truly loved and honored Saul. 
But on the other hand, Saul saw David as his enemy. So let me ask you, if the roles were reversed here, would Saul have let David leave the, king, the, the cave alive? Not in your life. So David really did show mercy to Saul here. Well, what an amazing change of heart we seem to see here in the life of Saul. Verse 20 says, And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. You know, it's interesting to me that Saul now publicly acknowledges that David will be the next king. He has been living with such an irrational rage over the very prospect of that for so long. However, I think that in just the, the beauty and the tenderness of the moment, that God gives him this clarity. And so Saul wants to ensure that his family lineage will be preserved after David becomes king. And so he asked David to make an oath to not destroy the name of his father's house. And friends, I want you to recognize something there. This would have been the same kind of oath that David and Jonathan had together. So David made this oath with Saul and now it was time to go their separate ways. And I find this very interesting that it says Saul went home but David stayed in En Gedi. You know, I think that even though the Lord had brought some level of restoration, Saul had proven time and time and time again that those tormenting spirits had a way of reappearing and reigniting a problem. And so I'm sure David thought it prudent to remain at arm's length from Saul. And even though his repentance seemed genuine and sincere, David was taking more of a wait-and-see approach to, to see how this would play out. Well, once again, I return to the question that I asked at the beginning of the service. What do you do when God doesn't come through on his promises in a timely fashion, your time? And God just seems to be taking his sweet time to follow through. And God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers. Because you really have a number of potential choices that you can make in that situation. 
The first one is you can wait a little longer. You're not really trusting. You're not really believing. You're just hoping that on the off chance that God follows through, you're in the right place. Another choice you have, you can just give up. You can become discouraged and lose your faith. Say, God, I really just don't trust you. I don't trust that you're going to follow through. Another choice that you have is you can become angry and bitter over it. It didn't get my way. God didn't do what I wanted. God didn't do it the way I wanted it to get done. God didn't do it quick enough for me. Another choice is you can take matters into your own hands and try to help God out. God, I think I have a better idea how to make this work than you do. And you may not be saying that outwardly, but that's what you're doing in your heart. When you're saying no to God and you know, the way God's doing something, and you're doing it on your own, that's saying, I know better than God. It's pride. God, let me help get this promise across that finish line a little bit quicker. Or you can make the decision to trust in God's word and God's timing. God's promises are yes and amen. And you need to believe that. You know, friends, in all my years of being a follower of Jesus Christ, I've learned two undeniable and infallible truths. There is a God in heaven, and I am most definitely not him. And we need to understand that the thoughts and the plans the Lord has for each one of us. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so when God makes certain promises to each one of us, they are on His terms. They are on His agenda they are on his timeline. And those are the things that are his responsibility to fill, not ours. So the question remains this morning, do you trust him? Do you trust him this morning? Let's pray together. Father, it's so easy for us to look at things going on in this world and seeing evil succeed and seeing your what, what appears to be your plan being thwarted as the enemy raises up so much resistance. Lord, none of this is a surprise to you. You know the end from the beginning. You 
know why you've placed each one of us here for such a time as this. And Lord, we need to trust in your word more now than ever before. We need to trust your guidance. We need to trust your plan, your timing, your purposes. So Lord, help us to trust when we can't see when we can't understand because we know your ways are not our ways. The way we would do it, we could, we'd just mess it up. Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you. Give you the honor that's due your name and praise you for the goodness that you continue to show us over and over and over again. Father, you're faithful. You are so faithful. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.